Hi guys, and welcome back to this week's episode of Regardless of Reputation. I am so excited to have our guest here today. His name is Eris, and he is the assistant manager at Spice Sensuality Boutique. And I am so excited to dive into a whole bunch of different topics today, and we're going to dive deep. Um, We're going to talk about the store and about lots of sex and (laughs) sex toys, safety, kink culture, all that kind of stuff. And I'm so excited to have someone who has a lot more knowledge than me to speak on (laughs) these topics. So thank you, Eris, for being here today. I'm so excited to be able to have these conversations with you and educate myself and everyone listening further about all of these things. Awesome. I'm happy to be here. Good. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so as you guys know, every single week we start, regardless of reputation, with two truths and a lie. So I'm going to let Eris go ahead and say his two truths and a lie. So if you want to take it over from here. I, uh, I'm a published author. I am well known at parties for my bag of dicks. <laughs> and love that. I live on a farm with... A menagerie of animals, including two very goats. Oh, those are good ones. So I'm going to take my guess and I'm going to say, I feel like you're really knowledgeable. So I feel like you could definitely be a published author. I feel like that could definitely be a contender. I mean, you work at Spice. So I feel like the bag of dicks is like a total possibility. I feel like that one's true. And then the farm, I don't know about that one. I feel like goats is so specific. (laughs) Um, Isn't that like what they say about the best lies? Are there the the truth is possible, but with just, you know. Yeah. Oh, see now. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. I'm going to go with the goats is a lie. So I think your two truths is you're a published author and uh, you're known for your bag of dicks at parties. (laughs) Uh, You're wrong. What? I do do live on a small farm. I have two very surly goats. Their names are Borage and Misha. Oh my gosh, I love that. (laughs) I have a cat named Shama. Oh, so Um, cute. Yeah. And there used to be a lot of chickens, but the chickens are all gone now. Oh, poor chickens. (laughs) Um, I am actually a published author. I mean, not like something fancy or anything. I had some poetry published in high school and I used to- That's awesome. And I used to work at a research lab, so I actually have my name attached to an article that was published in the Journal of Proteomics, um, which is a peer-reviewed science journal. I mean, all I did was do, like, some of, like, the baseline testing and stuff. And like, No, that's awesome. But my name still gets to be on there because I helped with, like, plotting some graphs, you know, doing some testing of machinery. That's Uh, cool. Yeah. Um, The lie is actually about the bag of dicks. I am not known for my bag of dicks. It's actually a suitcase full of dicks. That <laughs> so, makes it even better. Yeah. So that's so funny. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I was wrong. Maybe you guys were right. <laughs> so I figured that we could just talk about the store a little bit. But for those who are unfamiliar with what Spice is, do you want to just kind of talk about that for a couple minutes? Sure. Um, so Spice is an adult boutique sex store or whatever you want to call it. Um, we sell a variety of products from lingerie and costuming to sexual health and wellness things. We sell lubricants, we sell Kegel balls, we sell literature, we sell, you know, vibrators of every style and color you can imagine. A um, little bit of something for everybody whether you have a penis, whether you have a vagina, it doesn't matter. We have a toy that will work for you. Awesome. I'm so excited. I had pulled some questions on Instagram and kind of asked people what they would be really interested about hearing. And Mm -hmm. overwhelmingly, the response was people wanted to know how to like bring up these things to a partner, whether it's a new partner, an old partner, just how to like start having the conversation and like what steps they should take to like safely introduce these things into their sex life. Gotcha. Well, um, So those are one of those interesting questions because it's so, it's very Um, open-ended. You know, every single relationship is going to be a little bit different. Every single person is going to approach sex and sexuality in a very different way. Totally. Um, So there's never going to be like a one-size-fits-all answer Mm -hmm. to one of those questions. Um, I think as long as like you are practicing open communication and you and your partner are kind of on the same level. I don't think people should be like afraid of broaching these kinds of topics. 
sex toys are, you know, I don't think there's something to be like intimidated by. I think there's something that, you know, it's just, there's this cool thing that can do a thing that my body can't do. And mm-hmm. like, that sounds like a lot of fun to try out. So mm-hmm. the, like when introducing the topic, it's like, you know, hey, I've always wanted to try this thing, but I think it'd be way more fun and entertaining if we tried it together, you know? Mm-hmm. I really like that because, I mean, I think that for a lot of people, especially I think younger 20s and it's kind of a new thing and sex is like still this like taboo topic that like shouldn't right. be talked about. And especially if you like grew up in a family that wasn't super sex positive or may- it's always been like something that was like hush hush. I feel like it's really hard for people to um, have these conversations. And I think that also like when people are having these conversations, it's like, okay, you can only cover like this, this, and this, and then that's like what's acceptable to talk about. And so, I mean, part of, part of why I started this podcast, I know I've told you this separately is to kind of like break down those barriers. It's just important to even just like start the conversation to friends or family or to a partner saying like, Hey, this is something I want to learn more about. And then at least it's like out there and can be talked about. Like, I don't know. Does, I don't know if that made sense. I kind of went on a tangent there, but I am so excited to talk about more than just like, you know, (laughs) the three things that people talk about when they talk about sex. I think that sex toys can be really intimidating for some people. And I think absolutely maybe more so for men. Absolutely. I see it all the time. Yeah. Um, You know, you'll, you'll get reluctant guys who get dragged in with their girlfriend Mm -hmm. looking around and scoffing at everything and kind of like, like, you know, making faces and they don't really seem like they want to be there. And it, I don't know, I, I hate seeing that. It really, it mm-hmm. kind of kills me a little bit because I don't think that anybody should feel like emasculated by the no. idea of having a toy in the bedroom or feel like it's like a ridiculous thing or like, oh, I don't need more sex toys. Like everybody can mm-hmm. find something that's going to be fun. Like it doesn't have to be like a dildo that's bigger than you. Like yeah. there's, I, there's lots of different ways of approaching it people come in and they're already kind of closed down to the idea that they're going to find anything I think that that just kind of like hurting anybody but you my dude (laughs) yeah and I think that maybe introducing it to a partner is like this isn't a replacement to you this is just like an enhancement to what we already have I think that is a really good thing because they might feel less intimidated and I feel like starting with something you have more insight to this than me because you do this all the time but maybe like starting small and just seeing how they feel about that so when I get people who come in and they're like, you know, I've never used a toy before, or I don't know where to start, um, or my partner is like really closed minded to the idea of using things. Um, I mm-hmm. often like to point out that like, you don't necessarily have to start with something that is like an inherently sexual toy. Like you mm-hmm. can something that's more sensual than sexual you have a vibrator that you can add to like a partner massage or something of like expressly be sensual or something that can bridge that gap like we sell a handful um one of my favorite toys that I like to recommend to people in this type of situation is um it's a little vibrator that has these two finger pads that just sit Mm -hmm. over your second finger and the controller sits over the back of your wrist so it's just like kind of having like a weird like cyber glove thing with a little Mm -hmm. vibrating on it it's really, really natural and easy to hold. Is it just like, you know, oh, I'm going to like rub your neck and this is going to help mm-hmm. a little bit kind of like loosen things up. But mm-hmm. you can also kind of go from there into like, well, I'm going to run it down the front of your chest and into like other erogenous zones. There's mm-hmm. so many different applications and that's what makes it a little easier to kind of like, okay, that's not as scary as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I really like that suggestion because I think it does kind of take like the intimidating part out of it for people, uh, which Mm -hmm. is really good. And it doesn't feel like a replacement. Um, I think also, if you don't feel comfortable talking to your partner, maybe you should like assess, you know, a bigger conversation than just like, (laughs) why is this such a taboo topic between the two of us? So, you know, I think maybe that's something else to think about, but I mean, it's like sad how many times I've heard it just from friends and from people that I know. What would you say is your like favorite thing to recommend to people maybe they're not like super beginners but they have a little bit more experience like what would you say like okay you should add this to the bedroom like this is such a great thing to have if I had to pick like one thing that I think maybe is like a little underrated that more people should try out um I would say blindfolds oh I like that suggestion honestly um it's something that pretty much anybody can use yeah any skill level 
it's not necessarily like it's it's already like kind of a romanticized thing so like mm-hmm. feel super like like whoa that's a little mm-hmm. too you know people talk about it all the time it's like almost like a joke you know yeah like cuffs and a blindfold kind of a thing yeah um but a little bit of like sensory deprivation like if you close off your access to one of your senses all mm-hmm. it does is kind of like heighten the rest of your senses even mm-hmm. if you're doing anything that's like non-vanilla feel really different because now you can't see what's happening plus if you get like a really nice blindfold like a padded one that's got like a good like nose bridge and it's contoured and stuff mm-hmm. they done really well for like long car rides or like airplane flights and stuff you know mm-hmm. <laughs> multi-use multi-use <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um I like that suggestion. That's fun. And that's something so easy to do also. And mm-hmm. I mean, like, I'm sure that people have something at home if they're just like, okay, I want to try this, but I'm too scared to go into a store and like buy oh, something yeah, you for this. Take a just bandana or a freaking, silk scarf yeah. or a t-shirt and just, yeah, just put it over your eyes and you're good to go. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I really like that. And then, so someone on Instagram replied to a poll asking us they wanted to know uh what your biggest pet peeve is with customers when they come in (laughs) so we do actually get like a really wide variety of people that come in I will say that like my biggest pet peeve okay actually it's kind of hard I have like a top three okay go for it (laughs) top three is good (laughs) um I one is when people walk into the store and they're like what's the best toy to buy I'm like that's not a real question because like there's toys for like there are so many different this mm-hmm. for the stuff that's in the store so if you ask me like you know what's your most popular vibrator I can lead you to that if you ask yeah. me, you know which like male masturbator gets the best reviews mm-hmm. I can that direction but if you just say what's the best toy in the store I'm like that doesn't mean anything no there's nothing you can do with that <laughs> and like I I love working with customers and getting to help guide them in an experience and like figure mm-hmm. out what work for them and what they need or mm-hmm. what that's going to work for their needs. But when you ask like a super open, really, really open-ended question like that, it just kind of puts me in this weird position of like trying to figure out what it is that you're expecting me to say. Like yes, yesterday or the day before or something like that, we had a customer come in and they're like, I need a gift for somebody who's into cuckolding. I'm like that <laughs> literally anything in this store because yeah. like yeah a specific kink but it means something totally different to every person who practices it so yeah need a little more to go on because I don't know the person you're talking about so I don't know mm-hmm. what they're into yeah I know yeah. It, I'm sure that that's very challenging and since yeah. you brought up kinks we can perfect transition <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> I would love to just like hop into kink culture and I'm sure that I think everyone's heard of it, but I think that there's a lot of misconceptions. I think that there's also a lot of like unknowns around it. So if you want to kind of just like talk about it a little bit, that would be fantastic. All right. Um, So, I mean, I wouldn't say one of those open-ended questions you love. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, I mean, I I won't necessarily say that I'm like super, super knowledgeable in the world of kink. I think that I have more experience in it than the the average person. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, I like to think that like the stuff that I'm into that I specialize in, I know a fair bit about, Mm -hmm. Um, but the world of kink and BDSM is like so vast and varied. No one person can know everything. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And like just having been sort of a like, I, I wouldn't say like fringe, but like, you know, I I'm not necessarily a big name in the world of kink mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can call myself an authority on x y or z but um like everything for like people think of like kink and bdsm they think of like whips and chains and stuff mm-hmm. like that and that, I mean that's part of it for some mm-hmm. people but that's definitely not the end-all be-all of it I mean there mm-hmm. if there is thing that you can think of that you could be into even remotely in a sexual or sensual way there is somebody who has a kink for that I, I know it's huge and there's so many things. And I literally before um, a couple of days ago, I literally like, Googled like, what is the definition of kink culture? Because I was just like, what does it say? Sure. Like, what does it say that it entails? Like, what is the kind of like main things? And um, it really is just like so vast. And I think mm-hmm. that it's kind of overwhelming to even be like, okay, how, like, 
where do I start? Yeah, literally, where do you start? And so, I mean, if you don't mind talking a little bit about like maybe like the things that you do know more about, um, the areas and topics, we can talk about um, that a little bit more in depth. That would be great because, like you said, there's so much to talk about, and that's (laughs) not something that you can like go over the entire thing in one podcast episode or one lifetime, really. So, (laughs) in my like personal experiences like I do a lot of like sensation based play um so like for me kink and BDSM is about you know whips and chains and floggers and things Mm -hmm. like that it's also about you know other types of sensation not just pain-based sensation Mm -hmm. um I mean everything from like you know I had a really great scene one time where I got to restrain somebody to a set of over-the-door restraints and then tickle them most of my experiences and what I find to be most entertaining is that exchange of power, whether mm-hmm. it's me giving up my power to somebody else or someone else giving up their power to me, mm-hmm. uh, being able to guide them through different types of sensations. That Okay, so for that, I think a lot of people um, have a misconception, maybe even myself included, that um, in that world, like there's either like someone who's dominant or someone who's submissive all the time thing. And so, um, I know, I'm, I know that there's people who, um, go back and forth. Is there a name for that? Um, yes and no. Um, there's a lot of different terms that can be used. Um, I mean, you will hear a lot about dominance and submissives, Mm -hmm. what being, you know, which direction the power goes in, Mm -hmm. but there are people who switch. Um, not every person who switches is necessarily going to call themselves a switch though. Like everyone has a kind of term for it, but yeah, the accepted terms you'll hear are like dominant switch and submissive. Those are going to be really common ones that everyone will know what you're talking about. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And so what does that entail? Like what, how do you enter into that? How do you discover it? Like tell tell me about it. (laughs) So for me personally, um, I, it was a really roundabout kind of way. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I like a friend of mine lent me a book when I was in high school, when I was like 14 or something, that was a collection of, um, BDSM erotica. It was called, uh, Mr. Slave and it was edited by NT Morley and I highly recommend it. It, I still have a copy of it. It's been 15 years, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, and each one of those stories like delved into like different types of kinks and different types mm-hmm. of exchange. And I found it really fascinating and mm-hmm. hanging out at like local bookstores and like trying to like find books about that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, you start, I started stumbling onto books that were published by Greenery Press, which is like a kink and BDSM specific okay. um, literature company based out of the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Um, And I also was really um, interested in and kind of like, you know, teenage obsessed with like Mm -hmm. body mod culture. Um, Okay. And, you know, piercings and suspensions and different types, Mm -hmm. like, you know, silicone implants and like all kinds of cool things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, And again, growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's really difficult to be interested in that kind of stuff without hearing about like Fakir Musafar who was like the grandfather of the modern primitive primitivism movement and he's based Mm -hmm. in San Francisco and was highly involved in the world of kink Mm -hmm. just kind of like I just rabbit hold my way through Uh things (laughs) yeah that's awesome and I mean we do live in an area where there's so many resources and so I feel very very thankful for that. Um, so many resources on so many different topics. And mm-hmm. I think that that's fantastic. And I, um, I feel bad for people who live in areas that are not as progressive or not as accepting yeah. of these It's a little things. less accessible. Yeah. Because yeah. it really like, you know, those folks might, might not be carried at the library or it might be harder to, you know, get a hold of things like that. Thankfully, I mean, we have the internet now, so that's fantastic. People can, yes. you know, educate themselves a lot better and a lot easier. Uh, so that's great. Um, and so it, so you had like kind of always been interested since as long as you can kind of remember. Yeah. As long as I've been like interested in sex and sensuality, yeah. I've been interested in kink. 
Okay. And so then when would you say like with your partners, like, has that always been a part of it or is it kind of something that like came later or um, how did that kind of come about into like your life after you started educating yourself about it? I mean, it's um, always kind of been present in one way or another, mm-hmm. um, even from like some of my earliest relationships. Like I can still mm-hmm. remember like, you know, being in high school and like, you know, being handcuffed to a bed at one point, like a little, mm-hmm. little like that, where it like doesn't necessarily seem like in the grand scheme, like, well, it's not that kinky, but like for yeah. when you're 15 or 16, that's kind of yeah. a big deal like yeah. <laughs> and can be like such like this weird like awakening of like oh mm-hmm. I really like the feeling of being restrained maybe at some point I'll be able to delve further into that like <laughs> yeah yeah and I think that that is really important to like be able to explore those things and um you know try things and you might say like wow I really loved that and then you might try some things and be like wow I really hated that and that's yeah, okay absolutely. Too. <laughs> those are also very important discoveries <laughs> yeah and so you know you don't know if you don't try um, exactly. but obviously um I think that with this comes like a lot of safety um mm-hmm things that should be talked about because obviously there's, you know, some things that can be dangerous. And so what were like safety precautions or how did you educate yourself on that part of it as well? Um, so I always hear of her too, as like a community and, you know, they're, they're used the, the like mantra of like the greater kink community used to be, um, you know, practicing safe, sane and consensual kink, which a lot of people still kind of, you know, that's their like motto. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that recently some groups have kind of moved away from that to um, rewording it as um, risk-aware consensual kink. Um, The understanding that for most types of kink and BDSM play Mm -hmm. is going to be some risk involved. It might be very, Mm -hmm. very, very small risk, Mm -hmm. but be a much larger risk, you know, depending on what it is that you're doing and being Mm -hmm. aware that like there is probably no way to be like 100% safe about those things you have to accept that there is a little bit of risk there and understand and figure out what you can do to mitigate that along the way you know whether that is like making sure that you have emergency contact info and like allergies and medications Mm -hmm. taking or whatever if you have a regular partner um or having safety equipment like you know hey if something goes wrong I have a pair of medical shears so that I can get you out of those ropes really quickly if you know they slip and suddenly you're losing sensation in a limb Mm -hmm. Um, so are those uh I mean I'm sure that this is different for everyone but overall is that like conversations that you have before you partake in anything that's on the riskier side of things. I would absolutely, even if you're doing something that's not necessarily on the riskier side of things, I th- mm-hmm. um, having um, what's called a negotiation before mm-hmm. you with somebody is super important. It like gives you a chance to sit down in like a neutral space that's not like sexually charged or something mm-hmm. um, and have a conversation about like, you know, this is what I'm looking for out of this experience. What are you looking for out of this experience? Mm-hmm. You know certain things that you really, really want to do? Are there certain things you absolutely don't want to do at all? Are there places Mm -hmm. I can't touch you? Are Mm -hmm. there words and phrases I can and can't say to you? Like, Mm -hmm. and what do you, what should we do if there is like an emergency or if something happens that you don't like, you know, how are we going to Mm -hmm. let the person know that something's wrong? And so would that be like where I feel like safe words are like, that's just, one of the things associated with it and is that like actually the (laughs) proper way that things are done or is that kind of um, misconception different kinds of approaches um I've done a couple of like discussion group things where we've talked about like you know you know do you and your partner or whoever it is you're going to end up meeting tonight like do you personally have like an already existing set of like safe words or ways Mm -hmm. somebody in like some people will have like specific designated words that wouldn't naturally come up, you know, like, mm-hmm. like if somebody is practicing like consensual non-consent um, and doing a scene where maybe they might be struggling a little or saying like, no, 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 stop. Mm-hmm. You want a designated word that actually means stop. Mm-hmm. So 
pull you out of the scene until you have to be pulled out of the scene. Mm -hmm. um, for me and my partner, we use what's called a stoplight system. So like okay. red light, green light, yellow light. Um, uh -huh. You know, if I, you know, stopping and checking in like, hey, is everything we're doing okay? Are you enjoying this? Like green mm -hmm. light, oh, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. If something gets to be a little too intense, I can say yellow, like mm -hmm. that was too much. And I need like a moment to kind of calm back down mm -hmm. or, you know, red light. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Like I need to stop. Something is wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, some people will have nonverbal cues like, hey, I need you to hold on to this, um, you know, plastic set of beads. And if you drop, mm -hmm. that means it's time for us to stop mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that this is important to say that this should, these are conversations that should be have had with any partner ever. So you could be having the most vanilla sex of your life. And this is, sh should still be a conversation that's being had with a partner in Absolutely. my opinion. Um, I think that that's really important. And um, so, you know, having those conversations, even if it's with somebody that you're not in a relationship with or, you know, things like that, like sex should always be consensual. And yeah. I, I, that should go without saying, but unfortunately I feel like it still needs yeah. to be said. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's one of those, like, if, if somebody doesn't regularly practice kink related things, they don't necessarily like, oh, well, I don't do that. So I don't need those kinds of safety precautions. But I think a mm -hmm. lot of it's like, like, even the most mundane sexual acts can be potentially triggering to somebody. Yeah. They need to like be able to call a break yeah. or, or put the brakes on or something and like, you know, take a moment to collect themselves or talk about like, whoa, okay, that actually, that wasn't great for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, let's do something else. Like I yeah. think everybody should have that option. Yeah, I definitely agree. And um, so with kink culture, um, I feel like there's no way to not kind of talk about fetishes. And I also wanted to ask you, like, um, I've kind of heard, like when I was doing some reading and kind of heard like fetish and fantasy being like kind of interchangeably used. Is that the proper terminology or is that kind of something separate from each other? I would say that there's definitely a distinction like a fantasy is like an idea that you come up with in your head that like really gets you hot or bothered mm -hmm. and you going and that you really like the idea of it doesn't necessarily mean it's something you're ever going to act on mm -hmm. something you're ever going to play out with somebody it might even be something that's totally unrealistic like you know oh I have this fantasy of being abducted by aliens and like they you know run all these like sexy experiments on me like that can mm -hmm. be it's never something you're probably going to be able to experience in real life and that's okay if you do write a book about it if that happens absolutely you, write a book. I, will, I will read it 100 <laughs> i love that kind of stuff um <laughs> um whereas like a, a kink a kink or a fetish like i think those are kind of in my mind i consider those kind of like varying degrees of like the same idea like a kink okay. is like you know there's this like off the beaten path thing that i really like that like mm -hmm really does it for me. Whereas a fetish is kind of a more extreme idea of that. Like this is something that is like an integral part of my sexual identity and mm -hmm. I need it in order for mm -hmm. the to be something that like I'm going to really enjoy or that's going to be able to get me off or whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, somebody else's um, uh, explanations of that might be a little different, but that to me is what those are. Totally. And I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and with that, like what, um, I feel like I just have to cover like all the typical like questions yeah, that no people problem. would have. Some of these are my questions. Some of these are questions that I feel like people listening would want answered. Um, some of them are questions that people have sent in. Uh, but I feel like people have this idea of like fetish parties or like sex clubs and things like that, obviously pre COVID times, but, um, how, like, would you say, I know you don't know like a percentage, but like what, how big of a part of that world would you say those kinds of things are? I feel like that's pretty like specific because a lot of people could have, you know, a fetish, but it not want to be at an event like that or something like that. Like how right. would you say that that plays into the world? I would say it's actually probably, I mean, like there are conventions and things, which are a great way of like getting to network with people and meet people. Mm -hmm into similar things with you, but I wouldn't say that it's even necessarily like a huge part of pink mm -hmm. culture. Most, most of the stuff we're talking about are things that people are really only going to be, are really only comfortable expressing or, you know, acting out 
in like kind of more controlled private settings yeah totally you know it's just like any other you know like the like the, the the rave culture and stuff like there's like you know mm -hmm. and private parties and then there's and like massives and stuff that lots of people travel to go to but mm -hmm. that's you know like the club scene and the club scene is like yeah maybe heard about a little bit more, but it's definitely not like the biggest part of it. Definitely. And that's why I wanted to kind of bring, cause I feel like it's such a misconception that that's like a huge part of it and everyone just like, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. they do. And yeah, um, I mean, even like, like, you know, San Francisco Bay area, like I have spent many years going to like bondage go, go and to the Citadel and the other, like kind of more well-known, um, like sex positive kink oriented club type events mm -hmm. and like fun but honestly you go to enough of them and you realize you're getting the same like 60 people every single yeah <laughs> it's a fairly small group of people who make it out to those events for mm -hmm. one reason um but there's a much larger culture of people on the fringe of that that don't go to those events and maybe they know people who go to those events or help throw those events or something but mm -hmm. what they're doing is in a more private setting mm -hmm. totally and Okay, I can't go this whole, I'm sure you laughed when you saw this question, um, oh, but I, know I, <laughs> I feel like I cannot go through this entire episode without asking your thoughts and opinions. I have my own thoughts and opinions on this, but about Fifty Shades and like the attention that it brought to um, the culture and everything, like what, what were your thoughts when you, I don't know if you read the books or saw the, saw the movies or both, um, I would love to hear your opinions on it. <laughs> Ooh, I have a lot, I have a, ooh, I have a lot of, I'm sure, <laughs> opinions on these. Um, I actually do own a set of the books. Mm -hmm. I think I have all of the books. I might only have two of the books. I don't quite remember. I've never actually read them. Um, I have never seen the movies. I have skimmed through. Okay. I remember when the books came out and I was a very, very loud proponent, like of that they should not exist. Mm -hmm. um, I actually really hate the books and movies. Um, mm -hmm. little, the, the little bits that I have read and heard about them and what I know, mm -hmm. I tried to read them. <laughs> and I'm gonna have to try and like, I'm one of those people like I have to finish things. So like at yeah. some point, I will probably sit and finish reading them. Yeah. Um, but the way that they portray a power exchange relationship is so incredibly dangerous and toxic mm -hmm. that I just I was blown away mm -hmm. um like the things that happen in in those books and the way that like she gives up control of certain things mm -hmm. and that Mr. Gray or whatever his name is mm -hmm. it's that exchange of power is so dangerous mm -hmm. that I like oh it's it's hard for me to like even like verbalize how bad it is like yeah it perpetuates this idea that like once you give up control to this person they have absolute power over you which in reality in a power exchange relationship it's really the person giving up the power that has more of the power overall because they're the mm -hmm. ones who have the ability to stop everything at any given point like if they mm -hmm. feel unsafe or they don't feel like they like the direction something is going they're the mm -hmm. one who has the power to I mean obviously a top a dominant can stop a scene at any point but really mm -hmm. it's the submissive who has the ability to like nope I'm done yeah which is kind of the point because that's your mm -hmm. thing there is no situation where it should be okay or where it should be expected for you to just give up that safety net yeah, I, I read all the books and I have seen the movies. And I mean, when they first came out, they were such a big thing. I was like, okay, I have to see, you know, what this is yeah, all absolutely. about. And I, the the older that I've gotten, the more the experience that I've had. Because um, I mean, they kind of came out a few years ago now. Um, I don't even know when they came out, but it's, they're not brand new anymore. <laughs> no, no. Um, I mean, it, I actually think it was like, God, that was like actually closer to like 10 years. I think it was because I think that they came out when I was in high school, which was like 10 years ago. <laughs> I think, I think I remember talking about them when I, at, at like a specific job in my early 20s, mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, for 
me, of course I read them because I've been, I was in high school and they were like this, you know, crazy new thing coming out. And, um, it was kind of, I think the first introduction for a lot of people to that kind of world. And I think that that's extremely dangerous. Like you were saying for that to have such a platform and so much like I, people just thought it was the greatest thing ever and loved it so much. And I think that that's so dangerous and just, I, I just, that's not how a relationship should be. what really, really baffled me was like learning that, you know, this person approached, like the, the author of those books approached it without having any concept or doing any research on their own, it seems beyond like mm-hmm. vaguest of like, you know, crappy pornography before deciding that they could write from like, as if they were a voice of authority on that mm-hmm. kind of, on these types of relationships which gives these people, you know, people think like, oh, well, they've got this published. They must know what they're talking about. Like who would just go on the internet and tell lies, you (laughs) know, ever. And and so it just baffles me. Like if you're going to write this thing and maybe it's because they didn't expect it to get so popular or whatever. So they Mm -hmm. didn't think they put that much effort into it. But after the first book, like you would think maybe I should talk to somebody who actually is involved in of things or knows what they're talking about or do a little bit of research before perpetuating these kind of stereotypes that can be Mm -hmm. you know dangerous and or potentially deadly to people yeah yeah I yeah I had to I had to bring it up I couldn't not no worries Uh, (laughs) but yeah I I 100% agree I think that they're incredibly dangerous for any sort of relationship um Mm -hmm. because that's just not not what love is so if that's what your relationship feels like get the heck Good out run. Uh, yeah. as fast as you can towards the hills. And I mean, I feel like we've all had maybe just me one terrible relationship that did feel somewhat like that in one way or another. <laughs> maybe it's just me, but uh, oh, we've all been there in I one form like, or another. I feel like, you know, and I feel like that's part of the learning experience. Like we were talking about things that, uh, you know, you have to find what you don't like just as much as what you do like so you live and you learn Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but yeah I I really think that those are dangerous and um anyways so thank you for answering that I know that that's like a whole thing all on its own um and then I wanted to kind of talk about um in I know we were talking about how like kink covers so much different stuff and it's kind of like an umbrella of so many different topics. Um, but another question that a lot of people had was talking about polyamorous relationships. I feel like it's such like a unknown to a lot of people. Is that a whole separate thing than like kink culture? Or is that kind of like underneath the umbrella or like where does that fall in the world? <laughs> so I... <laughs> Sorry if that's like a dumb question. It might no, be. not at all. It's one of those like if you're involved in polyamory or non-monogamy, um, that's something that you hear a lot, and so it's not like an un an, un, an unknown question to me. Um, I, it's not the same thing. I don't think that um, I don't. Some people would argue, but I don't think that it's appropriate to call a relationship style a kink or a fetish mm-hmm. um, because it's so much more than just like like polyamory isn't just about sex yeah like for some people it might be primarily Mm -hmm. about sex but overall that's not there's definitely a a large venn diagram Mm -hmm. of the kink world and the polyamory world Mm -hmm. a lot of overlap there just like there is with like the lgbt and like queer world like it's like this Mm -hmm. spirit of of overlap there but they're Mm -hmm. not inherently the same thing Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the world of BDSM definitely lends itself really well to people who are practicing open relationships or non-monogamy of some mm-hmm. variety because again because it's so varied and the idea of polyamory being that like you don't put all your eggs in one basket you don't expect mm-hmm. one person and one partner to be able to meet and fulfill all of your needs and desires mm-hmm. it's like it's okay to have multiple people in your life that help you you know reach fulfillment in different ways Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, I would the same thing. Okay. And with that being said, I did just hear you mention open relationship. So would you say that like an open relationship that, and I'm sorry if these are dumb questions, like I Not said, I'm educating myself as I go also, um, is an open relationship the same thing as a polyamorous relationship? Like, would you Not say? Not at all. Okay. I, there, there's like open, like there can 
be some overlap, you know, again, it okay. depends on like how the person is practicing it. But uh -huh. um, to me, in my experience, open relationships are usually like a pair of committed people mm -hmm. who have an agreement that on some level or another, it's okay to be physically involved with someone outside of the relationship. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. like, it, in my experience, most of the time that does not mean that it's okay to like date another person and fall in mm -hmm. love with another person but it means it's okay for them to, you know, go to a party and hook up with somebody, or it's okay to have like a booty mm -hmm. on the side when their partner's out of town or something. Mm -hmm. That still means that like, at the end of the day, you have two people who are in a committed relationship that just have slightly different uh -huh. goals. Okay. And as opposed to in a polyamorous relationship, how is that Where different? With, in a polyamorous relationship, there is like a full, like open knowledge that like you have more than one person that you may or may not be involved with at some point during the time of that relationship that is a mm -hmm. full-fledged relationship uh, okay you know like uh -huh. you know I I have my nesting partner mm -hmm. and I love him very much and we do most of the things that you would expect a couple living together to do together you mm -hmm. know we bills and we share responsibilities and things mm -hmm. doesn't mean that any of our other relationships outside of the person I live with are any less important to me mm -hmm. have less power or you know aren't as important mm -hmm. okay so you are in a polyamorous relationship yes Is yeah. that I oh, think I've been kind of like actively polyamorous and or just non-monogamous in some fashion or other since I became sexually active okay so this has been all you've ever known it's, yeah, it's not much. like you went from being you know monogamous to deciding that that wasn't the route for you and how did you kind of know like what what made you realize that that's how you wanted to live your life that you didn't want to be committed to one person forever also I know that's like a really unrealistic expectation even when yeah I mean have it's that kind expectation, of a, but yeah <laughs> I would say that's almost people like fantasize that idea it. and I mean I'm not I'm totally one of those people that I'm like you know I when I love someone like I can't imagine loving somebody else and that's you know people are different and allowed to absolutely do whatever the hell they want um, yeah. as long as it's agreed upon with everybody exactly <laughs> um, yeah I think that like monogamy as the expected standard is the issue not that yeah. me is an issue in and of itself um for mm -hmm. personally like I um for me personally I fall somewhere on the asexual spectrum where I don't necessarily feel or experience sexual attraction to a person. I don't necessarily mm -hmm. always have a really strong sex drive. Um, mm -hmm. There are times, you know, like I have fluctuating times in my life where maybe sometimes I'll be really touch repulsed and I really don't want to have to do with or think about anything sex related that isn't like mm -hmm. just like at my job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I also understand that maybe my partner or one of my partners might not necessarily have that same thing going on in their life you know and I, you mm -hmm. know it's totally healthy to like have a sex drive and want to have sex mm -hmm. but if I'm your only partner and I'm going through a period of time where I'm feeling really touch repulsed and I am mm -hmm. having a lot of like psychological trauma around the idea of being sexually intimate mm -hmm. puts my partner at like a weird position like well how do they get their needs met without infringing on like my yeah. right so mm -hmm. be totally like like that's okay you don't have to expect me to meet all of those needs it's totally yeah okay to have relationships with somebody else where you can mm -hmm. get kinds of needs met or maybe there's like a thing that I'm into that you're really really not into yeah you know even if it's like like horror movies like I love horror movies <laughs> my partner that I live with hates them can't stand them, doesn't like mm -hmm. watching them but I like watching horror movies with people yeah. I want to have a partner who's like down to go see a horror movie with me you know mm -hmm. <laughs> totally um, I, I side with your partner on this one. I hate horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> can't do it. Like I'll have nightmares for years. I think That's the last horror enough. movie that I saw was literally when a stranger calls. And I think that came out like in like 2010. I can't. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I take it back. I saw it too, but like at the end when they, it looked like they were like battling a spider clown with trash cans. I, I was right. like, I can't take this seriously. This is, you know, yeah. this yeah. is my kind of horror movie when I'm not scary campy stuff topic. where it's like not really scary just <laughs> mm -hmm. deal with scary topics yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so that's really interesting. And so I actually had a friend who came on the podcast earlier and she was in an open relationship and it was very much what you were talking about. Like they were away at college. And so when they were very much together, but when they were, you know, at separate schools, they were kind of allowed to do whatever they wanted. And they're actually married now and in a completely monogamous relationship and they're doing great. And I think that that's really, it's great to be able to grow and change and adapt to your needs when you have them because you go through different phases of your life and you have different needs like you might you know at one point be like and I think that that's what's so great about um people who are in those kind of relationships like communication is so important like you have to voice your needs be at a point where you're having a low sex drive and you're just like don't touch me don't touch me and you can just say that to your partner and it's like okay well like what are they going to do about it you know you don't necessarily have to like voice your opinion and talk about it as much not that you shouldn't just I think that it is much more of the norm it's the pressure and, off of the one person yeah I think that that is so great and I like I said I totally respect it and if I I I don't think that personally I could ever do it just because I'm like so I don't know. I just don't think that like it's for me, but I Fair totally, enough. yeah, I totally respect everybody who does. And I think that that's amazing that you can, you know, get what you're looking for and cause you're never going to find what you're looking, everything that you're looking for in one person, like putting yeah. that on someone else is such an unrealistic expectation. It's a huge burden too. Like to like, kind I, of- I would never want somebody to expect all of that from me. Like, how yeah. could you expect that from someone else? And I, I think that, you know, I read this thing or I can't remember where I heard it. It might've been in a book or on another podcast, but it was something that um, I really found to be very interesting. The idea of like um, traditional monogamy and modern monogamy. Um, have, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard of that. Okay. It was like the idea of like traditional relationships and monogamy being like, you find your person, you expect to be with them forever like we are gonna get married till death do us part like this Mm -hmm. is it for life and then like the idea of modern dating being like I am monogamous to this person at this time but I don't necessarily have the expectation that like this is going to be a lifelong partnership so I mean I've also heard that called like serial monogamy yeah uh, I've I've been called a serial monogamous a time or two (laughs) um (laughs) I think that it's really interesting. And I think that it's also super important to like, ask yourself, like, what are you looking for? And what do you want out of a partner? Because Mm -hmm. what I wanted out of a partner five years ago and what I want out of a partner now are so vastly different things. And so I think that it's like an ongoing conversation that you need to have yourself and with yourself ongoingly and with the people around you ongoingly. And so I like hats off to you because I just, I think that it's fantastic and that the communication is obviously a huge part of that. And, um, for you, like you have, this has been what you've done for as long as you can remember. Um, what's it like for, if you have any experience with people who like kind of, um, decide to try it later on in life or not even later on, but maybe in their twenties or thirties, like how, how would you say, like, what advice would you give someone who wants to try? That's great. And so I think that another, thing that always gets brought up. I know this is different for every relationship, just like every other question we've talked about, but cheating, like how does that come into play? And I know that obviously between partner and partner, you'll have, have rules and things like that. You know, overall, where would you say that that falls into, or does it fall into those relationships? I, I think exactly like you just said, um, there are going to be rules and limits and agreements in any relationship, whether mm-hmm. that's about sex, whether that's about, you know, you know, whether or not you watch the next episode of your Netflix show together. Um, yeah. And that anytime that somebody crosses that a boundary that you're not comfortable with or breaks one of those agreements or rules that you have, that's what is considered cheating, whether it's a, a monogamous mm-hmm. relationship or not a monogamous relationship, you know? Um, I have an agreement with my partner that I'm, you know, not going to make plans with somebody else or any of my other partners on like a, on your birthday weekend. And I Mm -hmm. turn around and "Eh, whatever, I'm going to do it anyway. Like that's, that's Mm -hmm. a, that's a break in the agreement there. Like Mm -hmm. that could, you know, Hey, you went, you cheated on me. You did this thing that we had agreed we weren't going to do. Mm -hmm 
turned around and you did it anyway without regard to my feelings. Mm-hmm. I'll just say a blanket statement now. It's going to be different for everyone. So I know you can always speak on your personal experience. We'll just throw that out there and all the questions will just, you know, answer <laughs> at, at your will. But um, like for your partner that you live with and other partners, like, do you guys ever um, spend time all together? Is it like completely separate? Like, do they know each other? What, what kind of like happens in that situation? Um, so I only live with my one partner. We do have a friend that lives with us um, that a lot mm-hmm. of people just think that we're dating just because we're <laughs> all non-monogamous, but it's mm-hmm. a vague, like queer platonic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, like all of my partners like know that I have other partners. Um, mm-hmm. My nesting, my nesting partner, what I call him, the person I live with, um, I know at least some of his other partners. He, he only has like one like kind of semi-regular partner he sees. Mm-hmm. And I do know them. I've met them a couple of times. I've given him rides home a couple of times. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and like, if it were up to my partner, he would have what's called like kitchen table polyamory where like okay. everyone's together in a big house and we all know each other and share roles and responsibilities and hang mm-hmm. out there and everything, um, or at least live on the same property and like mm-hmm. take care of the animals together. Yeah. The goats, you have to take care right, of the goats. The goats yeah. <laughs> um, and like, I don't necessarily work that way. Like I Mm -hmm. sometimes have like more issues with like jealousy or other kind of negative emotions than my partner does. Cause I have a lot Mm -hmm. of trauma in past relationships that I'm still working. Mm -hmm. So like Mm -hmm. the idea of living in a house with my partner and their partners and their partners and like that Mm -hmm. freaks me out. Like that's a lot. It's a lot to take on. Yeah, I I like the idea of like living in like maybe like the same like apartment building or the same Uh as them where I can like see them whenever we want or we can like if we want to we could all go hang out together Mm -hmm. but but yeah that's so that's like that's that's one of those like differences that like you know we're working on bridging (laughs) yeah yeah and with that like with the jealousy and everything I feel like that's a totally common feeling that people would have and do have all the time, even in monogamous relationships where neither partner is cheating or doing, doing anything wrong. It's just something that people have to really work on. And I know that like in my last relationship, I dated the same guy, my entire college experience. So, you know, the whole time. And, um, I had come out of a not great relationship. And so I didn't really have, um, like I said, I've always been in, you know, decently long monogamous relationships. And so, when I came to college from high school, my high school boyfriend was like this terrible guy and just awful. And I had no idea what like a healthy, loving relationship was supposed to be like. And then I met this guy who was truly the greatest person in the world. And he was like, this isn't right. Like this, like this at the beginning of our relationship, like I would be like, oh, well, like, you know, blah, 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 used to do this or say this. And he'd be like, that's not okay. Like, that's not what love is. That's not a healthy relationship. And like, it really took me a long time to be able to like, let go of everything that I thought a relationship should look like. And then like transition into this like very healthy, like loving, committed, like (laughs) it was just healthy. Like it was so good. And it took me a long time to I was never a particularly jealous person, but like I was more jealous than him because I came from this relationship where I like couldn't trust the person and like never knew what was the truth yeah. and what wasn't. And it took me a long time to be like, oh, like you're not lying to me. Like this is, this is actually true. And so it, once I figured out like, okay, you're a good person and I don't have to worry about this. Like my jealousy was like gone because I was just like, I have to let go of everything that has happened. And like, I could do that. And he made me feel comfortable doing that. But I know not everybody like has that and we're not together anymore. And I'm incredibly thankful for everything he taught me because moving forward, like I will never settle for anything that is less than like that, which is amazing. And I'm so thankful for that. But um, jealousy is like a huge thing in relationships. And now when I like see my friends being like overly jealous, I'm like, is that really a big deal though? Like, I don't, you know, and I know for everybody, different things bring up past traumas or different experiences that they've had. And I totally understand that. And so I feel like with that many people, so I also feel like I'm talking so much, no, you're, you're fine. <laughs> find a balance. I feel like you guys really have to like, let go of your ego and like, kind of be like, okay, this is like, 
this is me being vulnerable and this is me saying like, okay, this is, you know, hard for me. This is okay for me. So I feel like you have to be in touch with your emotions to have like that many people have a say in what's happening. Yeah, no, it's, um, communication is definitely the like most important tool that you could possibly have when it comes to relationships of any style. Um, it's something that, you know, like you, like I had, I've been through strings of very toxic relationships. I had been in a lot of very toxic, like open relationships and non-monogamous relationships, Mm -hmm. whether that was like, you know, the, you know, oh, we're polyamorous and we can totally see other people. But the second that I actually did it, I was a bad person and, Mm -hmm. but you know, I wasn't allowed to like criticize who they saw or anything, Mm -hmm. you know? So I actually had like, even though I've been like practicing non-monogamy for a long time, I had still had a lot of trauma around it, around the concept of like actually like being okay with having other partners at the same time. Mm -hmm. And until my like, until the last couple of years with my current partner and the partner I had before, like that was actually kind of my first experience being comfortable and being like, oh, this is actually like, I'm not going to get in trouble if I actually go on a date with this person. Mm -hmm. Like that's, it's different. It's weird. Mm -hmm. And like, I still experience like when I first moved up to Sonoma County to move in with my current, my current partner, Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time being like the first like six months that I lived here, I was so depressed that like, I couldn't function. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was centered around like, you know, he, made healthy boundaries and he's like I do still have other partners and I am occasionally Mm -hmm. going to see them and you know I understand that you are struggling sometimes with like Mm -hmm. separation and me leaving and because you have some trauma around that kind of stuff but Mm -hmm. that mean that I'm going to stop seeing that person and like we have to like talk about this and work through it and things and like really you have to kind of like figure out where that jealousy is stemming from like yeah a lot of times it's really just like it's a trust issue or it's an insecurity issue. It's never really about like what that person is necessarily doing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was like, for me, that's what it really came down to was like, well, I'm so used to being in relationships. Any time that my partner spends with somebody else is like a red flag because it means mm-hmm. there's something wrong or mm-hmm. to me about something. And so like realize yeah. that like I was projecting the trauma of past relationships onto my current partner and that yeah. that wasn't fair to him yeah was like a big like eye-opener like oh okay and it became like a lot easier to kind of handle that like okay Mm -hmm. well here because I feel like you know if you're spending time with this person and having sex with this person that means that I'm sexually inadequate Mm -hmm. well that's not the issue like here let's talk about like how I can like kind of reassure you that that's not what's going on and yeah you know kind of work through those things together so yeah being able to kind of examine that Mm -hmm where it's coming from like totally (laughs) totally 100% I mean like with with my last partner he had a best friend who was a girl and they had you know slept together for quite a while and when we were just we were friends for a while before we ever started dating and he had told me like yeah I was head over heels in love with her and blah, blah blah and so when they would hang out all the time and everything I just like had this idea in my head I was like he's still in love with her even though you know that was a long time ago and he wasn't in love with her they were just best friends it was really hard for me to like let go of the idea that like because she was the last person that he had like seriously had feelings for before me and I was like well she's great she has all these things like they have all this history together that like we'll never have and so it it like was really hard for me to just like let go of that and be like you know and then one day he said to me he was like Sarah like we tried it and it didn't work and if we wanted to be together we would be together but we're not and we don't want to like why can you not let it go and I was like oh that's like all I needed to hear like and it just was all of a sudden I was just like I'm good. Like that, that was all it took since then. I've just like thought about jealousy and thought about those things so differently. I have friends that I wouldn't ever want to like not be able to hang out with all the time. Trust is literally the foundation of everything. Trust and communication are like, if you don't have that, you literally don't have anything. I had just like a couple of like general questions for you and thank you so much for like being here and being so open. And this has been so great. I'm so excited for this episode to air. (laughs) 
I wanted to ask, like, how have your thoughts on, like, sex and love changed as, like, as you've gotten older? I feel like we've talked about that a little bit, but. Um, a little bit. I, I mean, one of, like, the biggest things that changed for me was um, realizing that sex and love are two separate and distinct things, mm-hmm. and they have overlap, and that's great if you want to overlap them, but it's not, like, being in love with someone doesn't mean you have to have sex with them. Mm-hmm. sex with someone doesn't necessarily mean you have to fall in love with them yeah uh, it was like a big thing for me to like learn to separate mm-hmm. you know getting older like in my like mid to late 20s and realizing that there were like other identities around sex besides just like oh are you gay are you straight are you bisexual like who do you have sex with like you could also like it was okay and normal and not like that there was something wrong with me if I didn't want to have sex or if I didn't that like traditional like oh that person's gorgeous I just really want to like I really want to bone them like growing up and like kind of realizing I didn't necessarily have those same feelings Mm -hmm. you know maybe it was like oh I really want to try this thing and it's kind of impossible to do this thing without having another person involved so Mm -hmm. I should person who will do this thing with me yeah more like that yeah like oh but this person's gorgeous and I just really want them in my bed totally and it's so different for everybody like who they find attractive why they find them attractive when they find them attractive like absolutely that's you know it's such a bigger conversation and it's so multifaceted and one of my questions actually for you was your thoughts on like how gender identification affects your sexual orientation because I feel like there's so many different like I kind of think of it as like a puzzle like you put okay so like you have this piece and then you have like this like name that society has and then you have this name that society has and like where do they fit together and how do they fit together and it can be very confusing if you're not super well versed in all in everything and then I feel like it can be kind of intimidating for people because they I think a lot of people never want to offend somebody by like asking questions or maybe saying the wrong thing when they like just sure. don't clean don't have all the facts like they just yeah. don't you know have all the knowledge behind it and so um I think that it's it's you know a complicated question but also important to have and I think now more than ever like people are open to the conversation and that's amazing for me like I I love labels I love that there are so many different like classifications whether it's gender whether it's sexuality whether mm-hmm. it's um, relationship styles like I love that there are so many different like subclassifications like that makes my little yeah. like scientist heart really happy and it's you know cool because labels give you the ability to find other people who have like similar lived experiences as mm-hmm. you so that you have people you can connect to totally but I think that like if you get bogged down and get too attached to a label that's really where like you start having those like kind of identity crises like mm-hmm. I you know if there was a period of time where I before I came out as transgender Mm -hmm. where I identified like pretty exclusively as a lesbian. Um, Oh, interesting. Okay. I only really dated women. Mm -hmm. Um, I was really only like interested in women. I kind of was like kind of very fringely interested in men to a degree. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really like a thing for me. Mm -hmm. And if I had gotten like really attached to that label, I probably would have had a lot harder time coming to grips with like my current like school and gender identities just because your gender identity maybe changes later in life doesn't necessarily Mm -hmm. mean that like it erases all of the experiences you had. Yeah. Cause your experiences led you to where you are. Exactly. So like, you know, yeah, of course, like I don't, I don't identify as a lesbian woman anymore. Mm -hmm. Mean that like, I didn't have a lot of the experiences that cis women who are lesbians have. And Mm -hmm. I can't connect to those people in any kind of way or that mm-hmm. experiences were invalidated. It just means that like, that's not really who I am today. Yeah. Yeah. And that's totally valid. And I think that it's important for people to know that like, it, it, we talked about this before, like you grow and change and your needs grow and change over time. And really, I think like turning inward and figuring out like, okay, what do I need in this moment? And who am I in this moment is amazing. And also knowing like five years from now, I might be a completely different person. Yeah. Having the flexibility to like adapt to that is like, what's really going to like help. I think this applies in pretty much every aspect of life is like honor your emotions when you have them. Like 
whether that be you're having a rough day, like, okay, we all have rough days. Like, you know, every day doesn't have to be perfect. Who you are as a person doesn't change because of these labels or identities. Like you're still you no matter what. And so I think that that is like such an important thing. And I think that I hate that there's like not more of a conversation around maybe just not hasn't been in my life. I I know that now there's a lot more conversations around these things, but I think that, you know, education is so important and being able to just have people who are open and honest about their experiences is fantastic. And so I so greatly appreciate it because I think that it's really important for people to hear and talk about. And, you know, as somebody who has always identified as a straight female, um, but um, I've never like really questioned that. It's, you know, really jealous, honestly. (laughs) And, you know, it's not even something that I had had to think about, you know, it was just people who have had to really dig deep and think about those things. I think that they're a lot more in touch with themselves. I mean, I think it wasn't until the past couple of years that I really started to like think about like, okay, who am I and what do I want? What do I need? Do I identify with like all these things? And having conversations with people who have had different experiences than me is the only way that myself and anyone else is going to learn. And so I truly appreciate it. Anytime. Yeah, I really, I think that we covered so much great stuff and so many topics and I feel really good about this episode. I'm truly so excited about it. Can you, on top of that, give us like, what's the one thing you want people to take away from today's episode? Um, I think that if you take away anything from this episode, it's that you shouldn't be afraid to talk to people about your needs and desires, um, whether Mm -hmm. it is in a sexual way or a sensual way or anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, The only way that you're ever going to be able to get what you want is by communicating and that being able to communicate with your partners, being able to communicate with your friends, being able to communicate with your family, anybody that you regularly spend time with, like, that's the most important thing when it comes down to it. Like all of the things that we talked about today, Mm -hmm. what it comes down to is being able to communicate with the people that are in your life. Yeah. I think that that's great. Again, just thank you so much for being so open and honest and being here and taking the time to help educate myself and others. So yeah, do you have any final statements or anything that you want to add? I, I, <laughs> no, I mean, the, some, some of the stuff that we talked about could like, you know, I could write a book about that kind of shit. Totally, someday. totally. and there's so much always more to learn so maybe a little bit later down the road we could have you back on and cover even more topics sure (laughs) cool Um, that would be great I had a really great time this was actually a really cool experience I was really really excited when you reached out to us yay I am so glad thank you so much I truly appreciate it so much and I cannot wait to um air the episode and have everyone else get to learn everything that I learned today so awesome thank you so much and I'm gonna end the episode here um so once again thank you